Amen. Hey, y'all can take your seat. Okay, Maple Grove, are you ready to dive into some God-breathed, living, and active word? Are you, are you ready for the word to, to rain down on you this morning, teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training, and equipping you for every good work? Are you ready for the word to accomplish in you today everything that God desires it to accomplish? Are you ready? Yeah. Are you ready? Amen. Yeah. Now, 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 I, I want to begin our time this morning by reading... Uh, one of the most well-known and most loved chapters in the entire Bible. Uh, These chapters were written by one of the greatest warriors and leaders in human history, by a guy who killed thousands of men in battle and not only won countless victories, but also won the hearts of his men and the hearts of the people. His name was David. He was the second king of Israel, the man entrusted with the job of shepherding the people of God 3,000 years ago. I understand David was a man unlike any who came before or after. I mean, it was God himself that testified about David that he was a man after God's own heart. And listen, David's reign not only became the standard by which every other king was measured, but it also became the hope of those who throughout the centuries were anxiously awaiting for the Messiah, the son of David, to show up. Brothers and sisters, 3,000 years ago, David wrote a psalm consisting of 56 Hebrew words that has been a powerful anchor and a river of hope and comfort ever since the words left his pen and the song left his lips. Now, now we don't know the exact background of this psalm, and some commentators, as I studied this week, think that it was written by David in his older age, while he's sipping iced tea on the front porch, looking back at his carefree days in his youth, watching his father's sheep. I don't think that's the background. Instead, I think that David wrote this psalm in the midst of living a life that from the very moment that he was anointed king of Israel was extremely difficult, often confusing, and full of challenges and unrelenting hardships. I don't know, maybe... There's somebody sitting in this room who feels the same way about their life. It's difficult, it's, it's confusing, and it's full of challenges and hardships that seem to be unending. You see, I believe that, that David wrote this psalm out of a place of desperate need to remind himself of who it was that was really great and who it was that was just a guy, to remind himself of who it was that put him on the throne to remind himself of who it was that defeated Goliath and every other enemy, to remind himself of who the real shepherd was and who it was that he was. Nothing more than a sheep, a totally dependent, hopeless, hapless, not very smart blob of wool. Would you please stand as we read Psalm 23 together? I'm going to read the first slide and you read the second. And You'll notice on the first slide, you'll see, whenever you read the Old Testament and you see the word Lord capitalized, that's when it's God's big proper name, right? The burning bush name. When most say, hey, God, if they like ask me who sent me, like, like, what name should I give? I am. I'm sending you. So every time it's capitalized, it's Yahweh. I am. The I am. The powerful God. Okay? I'll read the first verse. You get the next one. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. You prepare a feast before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. And would you all pray with me? Uh, Father God, we humbly, we joyfully, we expectantly come into your presence. We are awed by your greatness. 
We're all by the fact that we're speaking to the God who breathes out stars, who holds the oceans in the palm of his hands, who slays giants, the God who's never been overwhelmed by anything, the God who knows no limits, the God who was and is and always will be, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the Holy and Righteous One, our Rock, our Savior, our Redeemer, our Friend, our Abba, our Father. And God, I just pray that this morning, God, that, that you will open up our hearts and minds, that, that you will protect us from any distraction from the evil one so that your word can rain down on us and rain through us that we may become the people that you want us to be. And Holy Spirit, help us to hear what each of us need to hear and enable me, Holy Spirit, to speak in a way that brings honor to your name and pleases my Father. In Jesus' name, amen. You can grab your seats. Uh, Welcome to week two in our new series, Transformed. And now last Sunday, uh, we talked about being transformed spiritually, uh, about how the closer that we get to God, the more our lives will change, the more we will grow spiritually. I, I mean, it's like a slimy green caterpillar going into a cocoon and a stunning, colorful butterfly coming out. God changes us. And, and listen, when, when it comes to this closeness thing with God, God has already done his part, right? He's already done his part. And, and, and I love the picture that Michelangelo painted 500 years ago, right? It really does such a great job of showing God how much God wants to connect with us. You see God, his beard is blowing back by the wind. He's propelled on the cloud of angels. Every muscle is taunt. He's reaching out, and there's Adam. He's like, like, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I should. Hey, God, I appreciate all the hair blowing back thing, you know, and all the stuff you've done, but I don't know. Maybe I should connect with you. I'm just not really sure. You know, God has done his part. God is passionate about being with you. Uh, turn to the person to your right and left and just tell them, God wants to be with you. Is that crazy? Are you kidding me? God, start breathing God. And, and last week we said that to get closer to God, we need to, like the prodigal son, we need to, first of all, get fed up with where our life is when God's not at the center. We got to get fed up. And, and, and once we get fed up, we got to own up. Uh, we got to own up to our sins. And once we're fed up and owned up, then we got to offer up ourselves. Hey, God, here I am. You shape me. You make me and who you want me to be. And then we need to continually lift up and celebrate God's presence through praise and thanksgiving. The closer we get to God, the closer we get together. Now, this past week in our life groups, we talked about seven habits that if we choose to embrace them, will lead to greater spiritual growth and transformation. Okay, If we want to grow, we do these things. And here are the seven things, and we're going to read them together. I'll say number one, then we'll read number one, number two, we'll read number two. Okay, uh, Number one, I must love God supremely. I'm going to say that together. Okay, I probably did, I wasn't clear. I'm never clear. Number one, I must love Jesus supremely. Number two, I must meet with him daily. Number three, I must study and do his word. Number four, I must tithe my income to my church. Number five, I must learn to love other believers. Number six, I must serve others unselfishly. Number seven, I must pass on the good news. If we do those seven things and do those seven things in an increasing matter, we will grow closer to God. Uh, there was a, someone in our small group shared about tithing and how years ago, it was very difficult. It was between tithing and buying food. They chose to tithe, and all week long, unbeknownst to them, people started knocking on the door and bringing them food, right? It's, it's how God does things, right? We trust God and do what he says, and then God always shows up and does what he's promised to do. Well, this morning, we're going to shift gears and talk about being transformed in regards to our physical health, specifically stress. In our life groups this week, we'll talk about different areas of physical transformation, but what I want us to do this morning is talk about how we can overcome chronic stress in our lives and move from stress to blessed. I understand the human body was designed by God to both experience stress and to react to it. You see, stress, stress can be positive, keeping us alert and ready to avoid danger. 
Whenever your body feels threatened by something, emotional, physical, spiritual, mental, stress responses take place in your body. Your, your blood pressure goes up. Your pulse quickens. Adrenaline shoots through your body. And all kinds of other physiological things happen. And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's a good thing. I mean, if you're standing in the middle of the road and a, and a Mack truck is about to hit you and your stress responses just say, hey, get out of the road, and it gives you a boost of energy to get out of the road, that's a good thing, right? So stress is normal. It's there for a reason. However, it's meant to be temporary, conditioned for specific conditions. But what's happening today is that instead of, it, instead of just using these stress hormones in emergencies, we're now living at such a pace that we activate them all the time, like when we're about to miss a plane connection, when we get caught in traffic, when the computer is too slow, like it was for me this morning, and we can't find our keys, when someone in the checkout line, it should be 15 items, and they got 17, you know? When someone deletes the show in the DVR, you are planning on watching, right? Or whenever you're worried about finishing a, pro- a project at work. You see, our stress hormones get us fired up like a boxer getting ready to hear the bell. But unlike the boxer, most people don't get the opportunity to step into the ring nor do they give their bodies and minds sufficient time and space to rest after each stress-filled moment. So stress keeps working and building and putting pressure in their lives, which is why so many people around us flip out and lose their temper over the smallest of things. So I wonder just how familiar us in this room are with stress. Here's a little quiz. Um, Complete the following sentence with the appropriate word. I'm ready to throw in the... I'm at the end of my, I'm just a bundle of, my life is falling, I'm at my wits, I feel like resigning from the human, I can't take it, I'm about to lose my, okay, we got, we got some experts, man, we got some PhDs in the audience today. I, I understand stress has emotional and physical symptoms. Some of the emotional symptoms of stress are irritability. Anxiety, impaired concentration, mental confusion, poor judgments, frustration, and anger. Physical symptoms are muscle tension, headaches, lower back pain, insomnia, digestive issues. Um, You're tired all the time, high blood pressure. Man, I don't know about you, but I'm getting stressed out just thinking about the symptoms of stress. See, our our world is uptight and stressed out. Consider the following I I found on WebMD, so it's got to be true, right? Um, uh, 43% of all adults suffer adverse health effects from stress, 43%. It said that 75 to 90% of all doctor office visits are for stress-related ailments and complaints. 80% of all healthcare costs is spent on stress-related sicknesses. Stress costs American industry $300 billion annually. And increased health insurance costs, burnout, absenteeism, reduced productivity, costly mistakes, poor morale, high employee turnover, as well as family, alcohol, and drug-related problems. Bottom line, chronic stress is a problem, and chronic stress is, is almost epidemic. And here's the bottom line. If you're feeling a little overwhelmed and stressed out about your life right now, you are at the right place at the right time. Because today, October the 18th, 2015, we're going to unpack the most famous psalm in the Bible, Psalm 23, and uncover in these 56 Hebrew words some incredible transformational and timeless truths about overcoming stress. But before we do that, I I want to talk about seven common sources of of stress. You probably know some of these. Worry. Is anybody out there worried or anxious about anything? If so, you know that worry causes stress. Uh, Worry, it's playing the if game and answering with the worst case scenario. And believe me when I tell you, King David had many what ifs and other things to worry about. Uh, Another cause of stress is relational conflict and criticism. Is there any relational conflict in your life? If so, you know that's a huge cause of stress. And are, are you being subjected to a constant barrage of cruel, unfair, unjust, unrelenting criticism? Now, now, David had all kinds of relational conflict. 
He had conflict with his wives, with his children. I mean, one of his older kids tried to take his throne. He had conflict with some of the men under his command. He, he, he had conflict with his boss, his first boss. It, it, if you think your boss is bad, okay, his first boss constantly tried, was chunking spears at him, right? Trying to kill him and, and forced him into hiding in caves for 12 years. So your boss ain't as bad as you think your boss is. And, and David faced a lot of criticism. One time, one of his wives criticized them because she thought the way that David worshiped wasn't dignified, right? One of our first worship battles in history, right? David, I don't like the way you're worshiping God. You're not acting like a king when you do that. Another source of stress is indecision. And listen, part of the reason why indecision is so prevalent today is we have more choices than ever before. And listen, having more choices doesn't, is not more freeing and liberating, actually it's more paralyzing. I mean, you used to walk in the grocery store and there'd be a couple kinds of toothpaste, deodorant, shampoo, cough and cold medicine. Now you walk in, it's like whole aisles full of them. Like, I, I don't even know, I don't know which one to pick. Which one am I supposed to pick? Shelf after shelf. You know, we were in Chick-fil-A yesterday after Dittel's baseball game. They got six choices of soda, right? And, 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 um, and I order my Dr. Pepper. I go, hey, hey, dude, what do you want? There's six choices. What do you want? You know, it took me like 20 seconds. And I got so stressed out. Like, Starbucks, they say, I don't know if it's true, you got, you, on their website, uh, they said that there's 80,000 ways to order a drink at Starbucks. You're like, like hey, I, I just want a coffee. Non-fat, I don't care about that non-fat, whip, whip, whatever, double shot. Uh, it, it, uh, George Gallup did a, a survey years ago discovered another source of tr- stress. Actually, he said it's the number one stress factor among people in, in our culture. It's not that we don't have enough time. It's not that we don't have enough money. It's not that we have relational conflicts. He said that number one source of stress is incongruent values. In, or, in other words, we say we believe one thing, but we act in a very different way. And this gap between what we say is important to us and what is actually important to us by the way we live out causes stress. We say family is important to us. But surveys say that the average father spends less than five minutes a day in meaningful conversation with his children. We say family is important, but work and everything else comes before family. We say health is important. But do we watch our weight? Do we eat right? Do we exercise? Do we practice good health habits? We say that the way we handle our money is important, right? You know, uh, do, do we budget? Do we spend all we get? Do we save anything? We say that God is the most important thing in our lives, yet do we take the time to know him personally, uh, to read his Bible and pray privately? Uh, we say church, his church is important, but we don't give it the first fruits of our life. Someone or something else always comes before his church. We do not attend regularly. We do not tithe our income to our church. We do not serve. Uh, we say that forgiveness is the way to go and, that, and to keep no record of wrongs, but yet we hold on to bitterness and cannot let go of those grudges. We have incongruent values and it creates stress. The next um, source of stress I call the too many spinning plates syndrome, right? You ever feel like this dude? Like, yeah. It, see, a problem for some of us, we're trying to do too much. And we don't say no to anything. And we think it's up to us to keep every plate spinning. A pain and loss is another cause of stress. I think we all know that suffering and hardship and difficulty, sickness, I think we all know that loss, that a loss of a loved one, a loss of a job, a loss of a career, a loss of a dream, a loss of a relationship can cause great amounts of stress. David knew loss, right? He, he lost his best friend, Jonathan. He, he, he lost uh, the infant son uh, that was born to him um, with Bathsheba. He, he lost his relationship with many of his kids. He knew loss. And finally, fear about the future and uncertainty about our life causes stress. What's going to happen to me? How will this thing turn out? Am, am, I, am I going to be okay? Understand, worry, relational conflict, criticism, indecision, incongruent values, too many spinning plates, pain, loss, fear, and insecurity are major causes of stress in our lives. Get it? 
good. And the good news today is that in our time remaining, we're going to unpack Psalm 23, the most loved psalm in the Bible, and understand there's a reason it's the most loved psalm, uh, because Psalm 23 has given comfort to people for thousands of years. And, and brothers and sisters, as we dive its depths this morning, we're going to see that David, a guy without a doubt who experienced all kinds of stress in his life, has some awesome, incredible, God-breathed, living and active advice for overcoming stress. And you know, I, I'm convinced that David initially, he wrote this song for himself, right? A lot of great musicians, right, they write a song out of need. I'm so glad he shared it with us. Proverbs 14:3 says, 30 says, peace of mind makes the body healthy. You know, stress is the kryptonite to peace of mind, and peace of mind is the kryptonite to stress. You see, it's God's intent to use Psalm 23 today to do just that this morning, to give you peace of mind, to help you move from stress to blessed. Sounds like a good deal to me, amen? And listen, as, as we begin our diving in and unpacking, I want you to know that, like David, <laughs> I so wrote this conversation with you guys from a place of real need. I have been living under constant chronic stress for over 14 plus months. I need to hear these truths today. But more than just hear them, I, I, I need to embrace them and, and believe them. In Hebrews chapter 4, the Hebrew writer, he's talking about how most of God's people who were delivered never experienced the rest God wanted to give them because they didn't believe what God said to them. Here's what he said. Hebrews 4.2. For this good news that God has prepared a place of rest has been announced to us in Christ, just as it was announced to them, the Israelites. But it did them no good because they didn't believe what God told them. It, you see, what we're going to talk about this morning, what I'm going to share, is it's not going to do me any good. Even though I, I typed it on paper and highlighted it and marked through it, you know, it's not going to do me any good unless I believe it. And it's not going to do you any good unless you believe it. Are you tracking with me? Okay, let's do this. The first key, if I want to overcome stress, I need to trust God to meet all my needs. And this truth helps us overcome the stress of worry. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. Uh, question. When, when, when David, the king of the nation, a powerful warrior, the great giant slayer, writes those words, the Lord is my shepherd, what is David admitting to? The truth that, that even though people may call him king, in reality, he's nothing more than a sheep. And listen, if anybody knew how, how if anybody knew how hopeless, hapless, and utterly stupid sheep were, it was David. I, I mean, he spent his early life looking after them. I mean, he had seen them mindlessly wandering off, chasing after anything that got their attention, oftentimes placing themselves in great danger. He had seen the wild ones, you know, ones with the big horns, constantly banging their heads together, giving each other headaches and concussions. Apparently, doing this really impresses the lady sheep. Um, he, he had seen them get tangled up in bushes and be unable to untangle themselves. He had seen them decide to go for a swim in a stream only to have their wool get wet and drag them to the bottom and they almost drown. He had seen adult sheep roll over on their backs and sheep have, do not have the ability to roll back over once they're on their backs. And, and, and if, if, if the shepherd doesn't roll them back over, internal gases will build up in them and the sheep will die. Yes, yeah, sheep will die if they roll over the backs. Yet sheep continue to roll over on their backs. Sheep are dumb. We are sheep. And, and, and David had seen many of them about to fall victim to the predators, including lions and bears that roamed the Judean hillside, were not for their shepherd who sprung into action and protected his flock. You see, David knew that the life of a sheep is totally dependent on its shepherd for survival. He understood the absolute control 
that a shepherd has over their flocks. And so David the sheep writes, the Lord is my shepherd. I am therefore his sheep. I have everything that I need. Um, During the summer of 2010, while in a particularly long wilderness period in my life, I felt led by God to read Psalm 23 and to, uh, to read it not in one day, but to read it by looking at phrases and single words. And it actually took me six weeks to, to read uh, Psalm 23. And the following is from my journal entry, star date, August the 1st, 2010. I, I wrote, the Lord, the one and only creator, the Lord is, is, right now, this very moment, where I am, who I am, I mean, there's never been a time when he's not been, is. I like that word. The Lord is my, me personally, me, Steve Malone, me with all my sins, failures, and faults. The Lord is my shepherd. God is watching over me, taking care of me, feeding me, protecting me. I am his responsibility. The Lord is my shepherd. I, yeah, that's me again, same messed up guy, Uh, the, the guy who at times is so overwhelmed with fear and doubt, the guy who so often feels as if his life is less than others, that he is less than others. The Lord is my shepherd, I have. Now that's a pretty cool and huge word. It means that I have. It's not somewhere out in the distance. It's, It's not something I have to work for and strive to get. No, it's something I already possess. I have. Yeah, me, the messed up me, the guy with more than my share of hurts, hang ups and habits, have. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything. Wow, that's an even huger word. I have everything. My cup is full. I don't need anything else. There's nothing I can add to what I have to make it more. I mean, having the Lord as my shepherd is like having the ocean. And anything I might add to that is like adding a single drop of water. Pretty insignificant in comparison. Therefore, how crazy it is then for me to worry about, for me to work for, to chase after and fret over any small, insignificant drop I think I can add. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I, that's me again, failed and flawed me, everything I need. Yes, there are legitimate things that I need like love and hope and protection, security, purpose, etc. All these things are found in my shepherd. They are always provided by my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. I'm going to say the first half. You say the second half. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Brothers and sisters, one of the keys to overcoming stress is to trust, not not in yourself, not in other people, but to trust in God to meet all your needs. Is the trust that God will take care of you. Yes, it's true. You are a hopeless, hapless, defenseless, dependent, not very smart blob of wool. But you have the most awesome, amazing, powerful, and trustworthy shepherd ever. Amen? Amen. And and here's my challenge for us. Every time, at least for this week, every time you start to get stressed out, pause and say, the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. The Lord is my shepherd I have everything I need. When my mom was 24, she wasn't my mom yet. She was going to be my mom one day. But when she was 24, she was in a terrible car wreck. The car flipped over. Her her spleen ruptured, and she was in the ER in Baltimore. And and, and, and she told me how she remembers laying on that bed and hearing the doctors and nurses saying, hey, we don't think this lady is going to make it through the night. And my mom said, all night long. Over and over and over again, eight hours straight, she kept reciting to herself, the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything that I need. Brothers and sisters, when you start to get stressed out, 
When worry and anxiety attempt to overtake you like the waves of a powerful tsunami, remind yourself that you are a sheep who has a great shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. Brothers and sisters, he is there. He will provide. He will take care of you. He so has what you're going through. Place your trust in him to meet your needs. Next, to overcome stress, obey God's command to rest. This overcomes the stress of too many spinning plates. He makes me lie down in green pastures. I understand much of stress in our lives comes from always working, being overloaded, feeling like we got too much stuff to do that we're so far behind to slow down and rest. Hey, I'll rest when things settle down. I can't rest now. Too much to do. Ever think that way? I mean, David was a pretty busy guy. I mean, I've never been a king of a nation, but I imagine it's a pretty demanding job. Yet David still recognizes in Psalm 23 the need to lie down and rest. Question, how good are you at resting? What letter grade would God give you? And if you're like me and got a C or lower, what keeps you from resting? What what keeps you from lying down in green pastures? I, I mean, listen, if we are still overloaded and behind on everything, and we've not taken rest seriously, if we are still overloaded and behind, and we've not taken rest seriously, the clue phone that is ringing may be ringing for us, and we need to pick it up. What you're doing is not working. You see, rest is so important that God modeled it, and he commanded it. He modeled it when he created the universe. He creates everything, and the scripture says, on the seventh day, God he what? He rested. Now, was God tired? God doesn't get tired. He was just modeling the importance of rest in our lives. He says once a week, it doesn't matter what the day is, you need to rest. That's what God did. He modeled it, and then he commanded it. See, rest is so important that God put it in his top ten. You know, it's, it's right there in the Ten Commandments, along with don't commit adultery, don't kill people, don't lie, and make sure you get rest. Hello? That's how important rest is. Exodus 34, six days set aside for work, but every seventh day you must do what? Rest completely. You know, well, I got to check some emails. <laughs> I gotta, no, rest completely. Well, I got to take care. No, rest completely. Even during your seasons of plowing and harvest, even during your busiest season, yeah, I'm, a, I'm accounting and it's, ta- rest completely. You must deserve the Sabbath day of rest. God says, I want you to rest. Notice it says, he makes me lie down. Circle, makes me. You you see, sheep are like a toddler, right? When they're tired, they're not smart enough to lay down on their own, so the shepherd's got to make them lay down. And listen, if, if, if we're not smart enough to get the rest that we need and take a day off every week for rest, our body will make sure that we do it. Understand, God has wired your body in such a way, if you don't take time off, your body will make time off. Anybody want to give a testimony on that? But if we just keep working and working, we're going to get sick because God has wired us to obey his commandment. Listen, getting enough rest is essential in overcoming stress. Some of us need to go home today and and take a nice long nap, right? Take a real day off. Schedule a, a real disconnected from all the stuff vacation. The world was spinning before we got here, and when we are worm bait, it's going to be still spinning. Write this down. My best requires rest. It's not in your notes. My best requires rest. You're not wasting time when you're resting. Even at those busiest times. I mean, Jesus was a pretty busy guy, right? And I think he had a pretty important job, like the, saving the eternities of billions of people. I mean, anybody out there got a more important job? Let me, let me raise your hand. You got a more important job? Okay, no one. Yet Jesus took time to rest. You, you say, when I rest, I feel guilty. Jesus didn't. Check out Mark six thirty one. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat. Ever happened to you? It's like, dang, <laughs> 
It's time to go to bed, and I haven't even eaten anything. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I had that snicker bar, but that's it. You know, that's it. Okay, what should we do on our Sabbath? Three things. Rest our body, and our body needs rest. Re- refocus our spirit on what really matters, and what really matters is relationships with God and other people, and, and then recharge our emotions. That's what recreation, recreation does. It recharges our emotions. Different things recharge different people. It could be a hobby, a sport. They're, these are good things that God is giving us as gifts to help us recharge our emotions. And, and hear these words from Jesus. Come apart with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. If we don't come apart, we're going to come apart. Amen? Right? If we don't get that rest, it's... And next to overcome stress, we've got to go to God for guidance and follow his lead. And this truth helps us overcome indecision and incongruent values. In your notes, circle, you know, he leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me, circle, he guides me and paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I understand a powerful truth for overcoming stress is go to God for guidance and follow his lead. You see, one of the reasons it's so important is because a common source of stress in our life is indecision. We can't make up our mind. I mean, some of you right now, you're, you're wavering. You're at a fork in the road, or, or, or maybe you've got multiple options, and you can't decide, and the stress is killing you. You can't decide whether to get in or get out or to do neither. You've you got too many choices. I, I recommend that, that, that you go to God and make his word your number one source for guidance. Not the opinions of your friends, not the pundits on television or social media, but go to God for guidance because God always tells you the truth and he always tells you what's best for you. Not necessarily what's easy for you, but what's best for you. He says in Psalm 119, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. It's not a crystal ball, right? We want a crystal ball. God, tell me about 20 years from now. God says, hey, right here. I, 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 got, I got it lit right here. I, I got today right here. James says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives to all men liberally and doesn't condemn them or criticize them. See, God is waiting to give us wisdom. We just have to ask. And when you ask and go to God for guidance, you got to follow his lead. You got you to do what it says which will overcome the stress of incongruent values. James says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror. Anybody do that, right? We all did this this morning, right? You know? It's a good thing, right? Because we're going to have food caught in our teeth. I remember having, have you ever had like lunch with somebody and they don't tell you? Like you got a hunk of salad right here? You know, you go to a restroom, it's like, you're thinking, okay, we've been talking for an hour, <laughs> you know. I paid my bill, talked to people. You couldn't tell me that I had a hunk of salad right here, seriously. And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law, that's God's word, that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. What they do. God's word says, Forgive. We need to do that, right? Or else we have these incongruent values and it creates stress when we hold on to bitterness. And never forget the ultimate purpose of every decision you and I will ever make. He guides me in paths of righteousness for what? His namesake. For his honor. For his glory. Every decision. Hey, hey, how will this bring God honor and glory? Paul said it this way in Colossians 3. 17, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, you know, the words that come out of your mouth, the things that you do, right? Do it all in the name of Jesus so that Jesus can put it on his refrigerator. Say, hey, here's what they did for me. I'm so proud of them, right? Every word out of our mouth, everything that we do should be done in order to bring honor and glory to God's name, right? Word or deed. Next overcome stress, we need to lean hard into God in the dark valleys. And this helps us overcome Stress associated with loss and pain. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, 
for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Uh, Brothers and sisters, you will go through dark, hard, and difficult times. You, You will face mountains that are too high and oceans that are too wide for you. In this world, you will have trouble. You will go through times of sorrow, times that will make you weep and grieve. And that's okay to do. Understand, not once in the Bible does it say grieve not, sorrow not, weep not, cry not. But over a hundred times in the Bible it says fear not. It's the most spoken command in Scripture. And almost every time God says fear not or do not be afraid, it's always followed by this phrase. Do not be afraid. Why? For I am with you. I'm with you. Turn to the person to your right and left and say, God is with you. God is with you. Even though I walk through, ain't staying there, the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Again, he's using that shepherd metaphor, right? To have a rod and staff, it's to, to beat off the wolves and to protect the sheep. David says, you know what? I'm not going to stress out about this. Because God is my protector. God is helping me through this dark valley. Even though I walk through the valley, I will not be afraid because I am trusting in my protector because God is with me. Now, some of you are going through the valley of the shadow right now. It may be the valley of the shadow of debt, the valley of the shadow of conflict in a relationship, uh, the shadow of discouragement, the shadow of, of, of depression, the shadow of loss. But whatever it is, you're in a valley and, and it's dark. And you know what? Shadows can be scary, right? Remember as a kid how shadows would like freak you out? Well, I've learned a few things about shadows since I was a toddler. Shadows can't hurt you. They can't. A truck can run over you and hurt you. The shadow of a truck can run over you and it doesn't hurt you. A shadow can't hurt you. And number two, I learned that most shadows are bigger than their source. Isn't that true? Shadows are always bigger than the source, which makes them look bigger than they really are. And number three, here's the good news. Wherever there is a shadow, there are always is a light. You can't have a shadow without a light. So the key when you're, when you're going through the valley of the shadow is to not be afraid. And the way you're not afraid is you turn your back to the shadow and you turn your face to the shepherd. You turn your face to Jesus who is the light of the world. That's how you go through the valley of the shadow of death. That's how you lower your stress while enduring pain and enduring loss by leaning hard into your powerful, loving, and faithful shepherd by casting all your cares on him because the scripture says God cares about what happens in your life. Amen? Next overcome stress, let God be my defender. And this helps us overcome the stress of conflict and criticism. David writes, you prepare a feast before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Like we said, a common source of stress is conflict, opposition, attacks, criticism. I'm sure you figured out by now that there are people in your life who simply do not like you. <laughs> people who love to attack you and who love to criticize you, maybe out of jealousy, maybe out of fear, maybe out of hurt, but they're always ragging on you. They're always putting you down. They never have a positive word for you. If you have any success, they always poo-poo it, right? Yeah, I did say poo-poo, right? They always poo-poo it, right? They downplay it. They, They minimize it. Yes, I'm sure that most of us have people in our lives who have attacked us, put us down, believed the worst, and said the worst about us to as many people as they possibly could, 
people who did not take the time to get to know us, to understand us, to know what we're going through, but instead would rather attack us, criticize us, and condemn us from the sidelines. And when that happens, our natural response in the flesh is to attack back, is to get even. But listen, when we get even with someone who was unfairly criticizing and attacking us, it just puts us on their level. And we don't want to go that low. Besides, it doesn't work, and it builds all kinds of stress. And David says, hey, I got a better plan. I got a better plan. I will let God, I will let my rock, I will let my shield, I will let my strong tower, I will let my deliverer, I will let my rescuer, I will let God be my defender. So he writes, you, the perfect, awesome, indescribable, uncontainable, all-knowing, always present, never overwhelmed, spoke everything into existence. You prepare a feast, not a lunchable, not a four-count happy meal. You prepare a feast before me in the presence of my enemies. What David is saying, Lord, I know you will show up in my life, in my enemies we'll be, be able to see the powerful relationship that we have. God, you will show up. You will give me a feast. And they, they will see, and you will validate our relationship. You will validate your love for me. You will validate that I am your son or your daughter. You prepare a feast before me, in the presence of my enemies. They see how close we are, God. They see how much you love me and care about me. You anoint my head with oil, a sign of honor in God's presence. My cup overflows. See, a key to overcoming stress, let God be your defender when attacked and unfairly criticized. By the way, when, when God wore flesh, that's how he did business, right? That's how Jesus did business, right? Especially that final week, right? Like a lamb before his shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. I mean, he could have called 10,000 angels and whooped some serious butt. I mean, until there's no butt left on the earth, right? I'm not talking serious butt whipping, right? But he didn't. He didn't say a word. They insulted him. He did not say a word. He trusted God to be his defender Finally, expect God's constant pursuit and always be looking forward to your awesome forever. And this helps us overcome the fear of the future and uncertainty about our life. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Brothers and sisters, here's what you can expect during your lifetime. You can expect God's goodness and God's unfailing love to follow you, to pursue you, to chase after you, and to never give up on you all the days of your life. You can expect God's goodness and God's unfailing love to follow you, to pursue you, to chase after you, and to never give up on you all the days of your life. Surely goodness and love will follow me. I look behind my back, there they are. There they are. They're still there. They're following me all the days of my life. And to overcome stress, fear of the future, uncertainty about life, we need to constantly keep looking forward to our awesome forever. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you I'm coming there to prepare a place for you? And he's like, you say, hey, I wouldn't tell you. I'm not, I don't lie. If I said I'm going to prepare a place for you, I was telling you the truth. And if I did that, I'm coming back to get you so that you can be with me where I am. You can expect your future as a Christ follower to be absolutely awesome. Absolutely awesome. We're going home. We're going home. We're going home. And, and when we've been there 10,000 years, right? Right? We're going home. I'm not staying here. I'm going somewhere else. 
I'm going to a place with no tears, no crying, no mourning, no death, no disease, no divorce, no separation, no pain, no sorrow, no crying, no sin, no heartache. That's where I'm going. That's where I'm spending eternity. That's my future. That's where I'm going. I'm going home. I'm going home. And when you expect God's goodness and love to follow you, and you remember you're going home, it can lower our stress. 56 words. You know, 200 and some odd words less than a Gettysburg address. And David said some incredible things to us, to me, about how to go from stress to bless. Brothers and sisters, trust God to meet all your needs. Obey God's command to rest. Obey God's command to rest. Real rest. Complete rest. Go to God for guidance. Go to his word and then do what it says. Follow his lead. It'll help you make decisions. It'll help get rid of this incongruent values where you believe one thing but you live a different way. Number four, lean hard into God while in the dark valleys. I promise you, he will be with you, and he does not intend to keep you in that dark valley. He's, we go through it, and he, we go through it with him, and every shadow, there's a light behind it. Let God be your defender. Let God be your defender. I know you want to defend yourself. I know it's unfair. I know you don't deserve it, but let God be your defender. Let God prepare a banquet before you in the presence of your enemies. Let God do that. And expect his constant pursuit and keep looking forward to your incredible forever. And when we embrace these and live these out and make these a part of our lives, we truly will go from stress to blessed. Amen? Would you stand? Let's give God a shout of praise. Amen. Yeah. It's his word. Good word from God. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to take communion. Pray with me. Father God, we, we love you. And, and God, I, I pray for those in this room, man. They're worried, man. They're anxious. I pray they will trust you as their shepherd. God, I pray for those of us who need the rest, and we need to give ourselves a break, and we need to let you run the world because we, we can't. I pray that we'll do that. And, and God, I, 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 I pray for those who are in the midst of a, a really dark and difficult valley, God, that you will walk with them. And God, I pray that we will let you be our defender, that we will expect your love and your unfailing love and goodness to follow us all the days of our life and that we'll never stop looking towards our awesome and amazing, incredible future that we have with you. And Jesus, we thank you that that you paid a debt 2,000 years ago that we couldn't pay. And that because you paid that debt, we can enter into this rest. In Jesus' name, amen.